Welcome home, family. It's so glad to see everyone. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, uh, that you were able to stuff yourself. So I was fortunate enough to have two Thanksgiving meals on Thanksgiving, so that's always good. Makes me happy. We are continuing our series going through the book of Galatians, so we will be finishing up Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles and you want to flip through and prepare yourselves for that, Uh, but there's no need because there will also be on the screens when we get there. But before we dive into Galatians, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather as your people, as your church, when we can focus on you, be thankful for what you have done in our lives, focus on the hope that we have in Christ. When we can gather and sit under your word and see who you are and what you call us to and how you're working in our life and what you call us to be. And Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our hearts and our minds, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you show us what we need to be shown, that you grow us more and more to be like your son. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So chances are that uh, during Thanksgiving week, you maybe had to journey out and hit a grocery store at one point or another. And it's usually when you go into a grocery store, how they're usually set up. There's that first section, right, that you have to walk through that has all the fruits and vegetables. I don't know why they put it in the front. Maybe because they know you have to walk through it and they're looking out for you. They want you to be healthy. So they put it in the front because they know you brought, want to get the goodies in the back, like you know the cheese and the milk or whatever that. But they put it in the front. But this, this section, this fruit and vegetable section, has another name, doesn't it? The produce section. And that always struck me as funny. Why are fruits and vegetables called produce? You know, I actually went down a rabbit hole looking at why are they called produce, and there's no actually conclusive evidence why. But I think it's just as simply as fruits and vegetables are produced and people sell them from plants. And fruits and vegetables, that's what happens. They are produced from a certain plant and that's what we gain. So you plant an apple tree and you get apples. You plant uh, carrots and it's going to produce carrots. And that's why we get that. And it's a natural order of things of what that plant is that naturally produces the fruit that corresponds to what it is. It's this, and that's how it is. When we're talking about fruit, the Bible uses fruit a whole lot, sometimes talking about what's produced on plants, but also talking about the natural product of who we are. That the fruit of our lives, the fruit of our actions, is a natural result of who we are. And so when we come to Galatians chapter 5, we see Paul speaking of fruit, and he's not talking about the cornucopia of fruit you probably had this week, but the fruit of our lives was naturally produced and who we are. And so when we pick up the story in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, he's talking about who we are in Christ and the natural result of that. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You got it. <laughs> when we read this and we see what Paul is speaking about this fruit, this natural fruit that's produced in our lives, I would sum it up like this. The root determined, uh, the root is determined by the fruit. You could also say the root determines the fruit. It's this idea that the root, who we are, is actually going to determine what we produce in our life. Who we are is actually going to naturally produce things in our lives. And when we think about this, humanity by itself, humanity, when before we knew Christ, was dead in sin and trespasses. Before we knew Christ, because we inherited sin from, our, from Adam and Eve, that's who we were. We were opposed to God. We were, we were sinners. We were rebels. And we, because of that, we naturally produced wrong things in our life. We naturally produced sin in our life. That humanity, when they're, before we know Christ, is sinners not because we do bad things, but we're sinners by nature. It's who we are. And as a result of that, we start producing those things in our life that are opposed to God. But, and right there, that lovely word, but God loved us so much that He sent His Son to live for us, to die for us, to stand in our place, to rise for us, to ascend into heaven for us. So that, because if we believe in Him, we are given a new nature. If we believe in Him, we're given a new, uh, we're made a new creation. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're fundam fundamentally made new. The root is changed. Before, we were rebels, opposed to God, and so all we could produce was sin. But now in Christ, if we know Christ, we are new. We are His. And as His, we naturally start to produce the works that glorify Him. We naturally start producing fruit that is of God. That the root determines the fruit and then when we look at the fruit, we can actually determine what the root is. We can know who someone is based off their fruit. And we look at uh, Galatians chapter 5 and we see how Paul is building to this conclusion that this fruit, whether we are going to be showing the works of the flesh or we're going to be showing the fruits of the Spirit, is determined about who we are and where we stand. And so he outlines, hey, there's two paths before you. You can either... Walk by the Spirit, walk in the, uh, in the Spirit, or you can live in such a way that you gratify the flesh. And he starts about this life in the Holy Spirit, that you either are going to be walking by the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, you're going to be living by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be following who the Holy Spirit is, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ. 
So often when we talk about our faith, we can highlight the God the Father, we can highlight the God the Son, but so often sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit and it's so vital for our life in Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit allows us, enables us, empowers us to now live for Christ. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we could not follow. And so he says, you walk by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you walk by the Spirit. You follow Him. You listen to Him. You look to Him for directions. And this is what all Christians are called to do, is they are called to live by the Holy Spirit. So often, I think sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, our minds goes to some of those more dramatic gifts that the Bible talks about, the more dramatic things that happen in a Christian's life. But the Holy Spirit is present every single day, working gradually, constantly, teaching us, pointing back to Christ, bringing the Word back into our minds, growing us so that we can be more like Christ. And so when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, he's talking about that daily choice we make as believers to get up and look to Christ and follow Him rather than to gratify the desires of our flesh. I love how... um, a Puritan, well, I guess he was a little later than Puritans, not that you care, but Octavius Winslow, just want to be precise, okay, he lived during the 1800s, that's past the Puritan time, but all right, he says this, while Jesus was in heaven preparing a place for his people, the Spirit is on earth preparing his people for that place. And I love that, 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 that quote because I think it just, it just helps us bring in mind what the role the Spirit makes in our lives is that why Jesus is getting ready for us to receive us home, the Spirit is here with us preparing us to be at home when we go up to uh, be with our Father, to be with our Savior. And so we're supposed to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. It's, that's the essence of what being a disciple of Christ is, is that we follow in the footsteps of our leader, right? And so he is gone, but yet we have something better because we now all get to have the Spirit here with us where we can follow him, be taught by him, have the word be brought back into our minds and our hearts again by the Spirit, and we're called to follow. Or the other way, is to follow the passions, desires of the flesh. Paul uses this language of the flesh, and he's not talking about just the physical, or I would say he's not primarily talking about the physical. We don't believe somehow the spiritual is good and the physical is wrong. No, flesh is shorthand for this idea of the sinful nature, who we were before we knew Christ, our old sinful nature of humanity. That's the flesh. And the flesh only cares about its own desires, its own appetite, its own passions. And so, so we either are going to be looking towards the Spirit and following it, or we're going to be feeding our own desires, our own passions, our own stomach, and be following that. That is a choice set up between uh, for Christians. It's set up that you can either do this or you can do that. And Paul is urging us to look towards the Spirit rather than to seek to feed our own desires and to satisfy who we are. But notice, there is no neutral ground in here. 
Paul doesn't leave any wiggle room that there's some third option. No, he says you're either walking by the Spirit or you're going to be following the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. You're going to be doing either one. And I would argue, actually, this is only uh, kind of set up for the Christian. He's speaking to Christians. He's writing to Christians that a non-believer doesn't have this option, doesn't struggle with this. The non-believer is right here following the passions of the flesh and they see nothing wrong with it. It's only the believer now has this choice. That, are we going to actually live for Christ? Are we going to follow the Spirit? Or are we going to fall back into our old habits, our old ways of living and gratify desires of the flesh? And so this choice is put in here. And he talks about this, these are opposed to each other. For he says in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He's talking about a battle waging war within our souls. There's a battle going on between walking in the Spirit and following desires of the flesh. And in this battle, we have to be ready to follow and look towards our leader, look towards who we should be looking towards, which is the Spirit. I don't think we often think of the Christian life in this kind of um, wartime setting of a battle. We don't really think there's this struggle. We, we experience this struggle, and we look to Christ for hope, but sometimes we lose sight that actually we're, we live the Christian life in a battle-time footing, that we have a struggle set before us, and we look to Christ, and we hope in Christ, but we are supposed to wage war against the desires of the flesh. And this battle is taking place. And when you live on a wartime footing, it's actually fundamentally different than when you don't. Because you change your life. You think about life in different ways. You are willing to go with something, lacking something because you know something is more important, that you put yourself forward to follow Christ is more important than maybe giving in to the desires of the flesh. I was thinking about this wartime kind of footing, and we were having some conversations about my grandparents over Thanksgiving who are all kind of passed away. They, were, they lived through uh, World War II and, and the Great Depression, and, and they knew what it was to be on a wartime footing in life. They knew what it was to go without because you are giving up, you're sacrificing for the greater good of helping supply uh, the armies in World War II. And so my grandma, who taught me how to drink coffee, uh, told me, hey, learn to drink it black, because then if they don't have anything, you're okay. That's someone who knew what it is not to have sugar and milk, right? Learn to drink it black. My, my other grandma, she, uh, we, uh, when we were cleaning out her apartment after she passed away, we found these knives, these normal kitchen knives, that were like thin. Because instead of buying more knives, she would have someone come over and sharpen the knife she had. Because you went without. You didn't do that. Why? Because you operate on this, this, this wartime footing. And as Christians, I think Paul is saying, this is how we operate. That we operate on this wartime fitting. We put ourselves under the Spirit and His guidance, and so we are willing to look ahead to see Christ. And so our life now is not defined by the world. Our life is defined by Him. And we're willing to give up maybe some things. People say, why won't you indulge in that? No, I keep my eyes on Christ. Why? Because I know this world is a battlefield. I'm called to follow Him. And I'm following the Spirit to walk through this life looking ahead. This is why Paul says we don't look to the law anymore. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why? Because we have a new master. 
And that masters the spirit. We don't look to our flesh. We don't look to how well we can do something. We don't look to how well we can follow rules. What do we look to? We look to our only hope within Jesus Christ, and we focus on the spirit as he guides us towards him and in his truth. We have this new master, so we don't are no longer under how well we can perform, but no, we look to Christ and we walk by the spirit. The root determines the fruit. When we look to the Spirit, it determines how we live and who we are. Then Paul says, outlines in greater detail, you can follow these works of the flesh or you can follow these, have these fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about the fruit works of the flesh first. And it's interesting, he says these are evident. Seriously, everyone knows what these are. There's no confusion about whether these are good or not. And he goes through this list of these works of the flesh. What does it mean to be ruled by our passions? What does it mean to be controlled by our sinful nature is to do these things, to live these things out, to, to have these things define who we are. And he lists, I think there's 12 of them that he now lists through these works of the flesh. But if you look at it, I think you can organize them in kind of general categories that he starts walking through of how people gratify their own desires. And so he starts with sex. Something that is, that is really uh, connected to who we are, but he starts with this as the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, which some translations uh, translate as promiscuity. This idea that we're looking out for our own desires, our own passions, is, is kind of bringing him this idea of, uh, of, of a lack of restraint, of uh, unbridled uh, passion for just gratification in the body. And he says, these are the works of the flesh that you're controlled, you're ruled by your base animal desires and what feels good. And these are works of flesh that everyone can see. Why? Because they hurt people. They don't uphold the dignity of uh, someone else who's made in the image of God. They actually uh, fundamentally uh, hurt who we are and how we see ourselves as well. Is because when we give in to these, we just come to base. These are the works of the flesh that are opposed to who God is. And then he goes into religion, idolatry, and sorcery. That we're looking for power, we're looking for understanding, but we're not looking at where understanding and power come from. Instead of looking towards God, we look towards something else that has no power. And we look towards idolatry, these wrong understandings of God or, or these make-believe gods or these ideas that we kind of build in our minds and this is a work of the flesh. Or we go to sorcery, this idea that somehow we can tap into power that's out there and use it for our benefit, to use it for our good or, or for our own control. And he says these things are works of the flesh. Why? Because they take our eyes off of God and put our eyes back on us and what we get or what we receive or how we can operate. Then he goes to relationships. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, all these ideas. Again, that there's conflict between people. Why? Because we're looking out for ourselves. We're looking out for what we get. We're thinking ourselves as masters of, of, of being more important than other people. And this, and this idea of these works of the flesh being worked out in relationships, that we see that when people live opposed to God, relationships suffer. You no longer care for people as you should, but you just care for yourself and what you get. 
which kind of brings it to that last one, indulgence, drunkenness, and orgies. This idea that we're going to just overindulge in things to make us feel good. Or maybe just because we think we deserve it or we need it. And that drunkenness and orgies are overindulgence. That God, yes, He made alcohol and He actually, the Bible says He made wine to make the heart glad. But drunkenness is taking something good that God made and overindulging it to numb pain, to think, to give some pleasure that we're not supposed to uh, be going to lose control or just to lose our minds or whatever that is. It's this overindulgence that puts ourselves first rather than looking out towards others. And orgies is in the same vein. Taking something that God made sex and now twisting it to an overindulgence perversion of what it's supposed to be. Again, just looking out for ourselves. That's the work of the flesh. Paul's not even done this because he says this is not an exhaustive list. Why? Because he says, and things like these. Use your imagination, he says. You most likely think and have seen people working out, living out this, this, this nature opposed to Christ, opposed to God, and the things that happen, it's not exhaustive. And he gives that warning. If you live by that, meaning if that is what defines you, if that is what drives you, if that is your identity, why would you expect to enter the kingdom of God? Because that fruit that, that you're producing, those works of the flesh, are showing that you never truly were changed in the first place. That fruit that you're producing of these, of these things is showing that you never truly knew who Christ was in the first place. Because Christians, those who know Christ, have been fundamentally changed where now we are living for God and we're working for God and we have these fruits of the Spirit being produced. This is not saying that Christians don't mess up or don't backslide or don't fall into some of these things at times, but it's saying that if you are going to be ruled by them, defined by them, where you no longer struggle against them, where you never, no longer seek to put them out of your life, then that shows that there is no new life in you. And so why would you suspect to enter the kingdom of God? Only those who have been changed by Christ should expect that. Which is when he flips and goes to, but the fruit of the Spirit. It's a nicer topic to talk about. But the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting, and you can spend, oh, I think, sometimes too much time thinking about some of these things, but it's interesting. He talks about the works of the flesh. Plural. There's many of them. They look so different. It's all working in your life. But then he talks about singular fruit of the Spirit. I think he changes it to singular because it's just collectively what he's about to talk about show this, this Christ-likeness. Collectively, these characteristics he's going to speak of are from the Spirit, and so they have a common source, a common um, um, a place they are being birthed from. They have a common owner, and so we look at these fruit of the Spirit. And chances are, if you grew up in church, you memorize these fruits of the Spirit. Maybe when you're in, pre, uh, in Sunday school as a kid, some of you might still be able to memorize them, and you can order them in many different ways. But I like to look at them as these kind of three triads, these three sets of three, because I think they kind of group together well. And so it says, these fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, peace. 
These are what God gives you, right? That when you know Christ, this is what we receive. This is how we relate to God. But before, he starts with love. Before, we're just looking out for ourselves. Now we have love. We have a God, a love of God. We have a love towards God. We have a relationship with God. We have joy, a joy that comes knowing that he has saved us, that he loves us, that he cares about us. We have peace. Before, we were at war with God. Now we have peace with God. This all comes through the Spirit. This is what comes out for us. And so we have a peace that now is, that, that, that comes out in, in, into our lives life and as we have peace through this life love joy and peace and then the next triad patient kindness goodness it's kind of how we relate to others we can now have patience with others people why because we know we're not king we don't always get our way we can have patience because we know someone's in control and that's god we have we have kindness towards people why because we know they're important we know they're made in god's image and we can have kindness because god was kind to us now we can be kind to other people we can have goodness because we've been changed before there's nothing goodness now we can have goodness because christ has changed us to be his people we have a changed nature a new heart we have faithfulness, goodness, self-controlled. Again, that changed nature uh, being reflected on how we treat others, but also how we treat ourselves, that we are changed, that we have faithfulness towards God. We have faithfulness towards other people. We have gentleness. We don't exert our power when we don't need to exert our power. We have self-control, that we actually know that it's good to live within limits, and we have the power given by the Spirit to live within those limits. So Paul's saying, when we're changed, when we walk by the Spirit, this is what's going to be naturally produced in our life, this fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The point, I would argue, of Paul listing these and pointing towards the fruit of the Spirit is not for us to look at that list and say, man, I'm lacking in that one. Therefore, I need to strive all the harder out of my own power to do that one. I think that misses the point. The point, Paul would say, is these come from the Spirit. And so if you're lacking in the fruit of the Spirit, where do you go? You go to the Spirit. You go to God. You go to the Son and look to Him and ask them to produce this in our life. It's a simple point, but it's not the fruit of us doing better. This is fruit of the Spirit. If you walk into an orchard and say, hey, I want some apples, I'm just going to produce an apple, right? Well, you can look at your hand and say, let there be an apple all day long. Guess what? Newsflash, you're not going to produce an apple. Because An apple is not the fruit of ourselves. It's from an apple tree. If you want that, you go towards the source. And so if you want one of these fruits, what is the source of this, of these fruits? The Spirit. And so you go to the Spirit, you go to the source, and you ask that to change you. You ask the Spirit to change you. You ask the Spirit to come alongside this new nature you have in Christ and actually empower you to walk in Christ. You ask the Spirit to bring the Word of of God to life in your mind and in your heart so that now you can live it out. You ask the Spirit to change you, not from our own effort of how well we can do, but change me so that now I can walk in your ways and then you live that out. It's the the fruit of the Spirit. And so you go towards that. It points us back to the source. Not our own effort. Not our own ability. 
but back to Christ and resting in Him. And then, another great thing about fruit is that sometimes it takes seasons to produce. Too often I think we can go, man, I, I, I haven't seen growth in my life. I've seen that change I've been praying for, have been working for through the power of spirit. I have not seen that in my life. And where is it? And that's again, this this fruit, a gradual change as the spirit is working in our lives, correcting us, building us, producing in us these things. In our microwave culture, we're so used to instant gratification. I mean, I have almost all of my Christmas shopping done because of Amazon. It's amazing. But that's not how the spirit or growth works. It's a gradual process as he's changing us, working from the inside out, being worked out into these relationships, being worked out into these circumstances that sometimes as a Christian we have knee-jerk reactions that are not appropriate, that are not glorifying to God, but the Spirit is still at work growing in that, maturing us. That Paul's point is that regenerate people, people who know Christ, people who have been changed, now naturally have the power to holistically and gradually bear fruit of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is working in us. The root determines the fruit. That when we are changed, that is going to change what we naturally produce in our life. And so he comes back to the end and he says, and those who belong to Christ have been crucified with the flesh, with the, um, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Final call. If these are the two ways of life, remember who you are and live by the Spirit. I really think that's a big takeaway when we talk about living by the Spirit. We look at verse 24, and it's a call to remember who we are. Because he says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. I love that. If it's that. Is that you? For those who belong to Christ, this is what's true. For those who belong to Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are in Jesus Christ, this is true for you, that your passion, the passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, have been crucified with Christ. That when he was nailed to the cross, your old nature, your nature of sin, your nature of rebellion, the nature of wanting to do what only for yourself, was nailed to the cross with him. And you're given a whole new nature. If this is you, if those who belong to Christ, for those who are in Jesus Christ, the sinful nature has been nailed to the cross. Remember who you are. If you are in Christ, you are changed. If you are in Christ, you are new. If you are in Christ, you are made new to follow Him. Remember who you are. But there's also that active aspect of that verse. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. That we're called also daily to crucify the passions of the flesh. 
that Christians, knowing who we are, knowing that fundamentally, objectively, this has been achieved for us salvation, now we look at our life and we look at the things that still hinder us and kind of entangle us, the old habits we have, the old ways of thinking, and we looked at that old life and we say, daily, I'm now going to crucify you for you have already been killed and crucified. Daily now, I'm going to seek to put to death the sin in my life. Daily now, I'm going to seek to crucify anything that's going to keep me from following my Lord. Daily, I walk in this path looking towards Christ. John Owen, a a Puritan this time, he did say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. This idea that so often we can, again, we can get complacent with our life, but when we look at what it means to follow Christ, is that daily activity where we crucify those things that keep us from honoring God. And when you think about that language, about crucifixion, and what that means, it's, 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 it's ruthless. This was a, a ruthless uh, execution of a living being. And that's what we're supposed to do with those things that keep us from glorifying God and honoring God. We're ruthless to Him. We don't show any quarter. We don't give up. We don't go halfway. We crucify the old nature. We get rid of it. We don't toy around with it. We don't mess with it. We don't keep one foot in it. No, we are ruthless in how we treat the sin that keeps us from glorifying God, we get rid of it. We cut it out of our life. We should expect it to be painful. That when we purposely walk away from how we used to operate, when we walk away from the ways of the world opposed to God, when we walk away from these things that maybe we've done for a while and we change our life, it can be painful, but that's what we're called to do as we walk by the Spirit keeping our eyes on him. And we do it all based on who we are in Christ, that decisive turning point of history when he killed sin so that now we can live for him and be killing all the sins that we still have in our life. And finally, we follow. As he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in the step that He is showing us. That keep in step, uh, the, the language there has these kind of military overtones of like marching together, of following your commander. And so it's this idea that if we live by the Spirit, if that's who we are in Christ, if we live by the Spirit, let us now walk in step. Now, now let's get in line and listen to the cadence the Holy Spirit is chanting to us and follow Him. Let's listen to Him as He guides us. Let's listen to Him as He charts a path for us. Let's listen to Him as He helps us guide through relationships, that we keep in step with Him as He directs us on how to live and to follow Christ, to be more and more like Christ, that we follow Him. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with Him. Let us look to Him for leadership. Let us follow Him. What does that look like in our lives? And I say when we follow the Spirit, He's going to be bringing the Word of God into our lives again and again as He prompts us to live in light of that. Which means living in step with the Spirit means being in your Word. It means that we live in, in step with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. When we read the Bible and we let the Bible marinate and saturate who we are so that He can change us. 
What does this mean to keep in step with the Spirit? It means that we gather around with like-minded people who know God, glorify Christ, and follow Him so that we can be encouraged and listen to them and, and, and follow suit, that we can gather together and praise Him together and then live life together as we seek to honor Him in all we do. That community and the faith is so important as we keep in step with the Spirit. That we seek to now live out this new life we have in Christ, and so now we can love others as God has loved us. We can serve others as God has served us. And so now we can live that out towards others as we keep in step with the Spirit, because this is what the Spirit prompts us to do, is now start living the fullness that Christ has given us. And all of this, we remember, this does not come from our own power. This does not come from our own ability. This comes because we have been made new in Christ. And so we live out who Christ has made us to be. Because the root determines the fruit. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the encouragement, the challenge, the empowerment that comes from understanding who we are in you. That comes from understanding who you've called us to be. And Lord, I just pray for this church that we can be known for the fruit of the Spirit being produced in all of its members. That we can be known as people who follow you wherever you guide and direct us. That we can be yours and live for you. That we can purposely avoid and put to death and flee from the ways in which we might be led astray as we keep